Welcome to another episode of the Unveiling Grace podcast. I'm Lynn Wilder, and this is my husband, Michael. Hey, Mike. Hey. <laughs> We're in different parts of the house. <laughs> this is part two with Daniel Ortner. I am really excited to talk to Daniel. Um, Daniel's from California. He grew up Jewish had uh, in South Florida, lots of Jewish folks around us. And uh, we're actually in Southwest Florida. And he went off to Brandeis University, read Isaiah 53 about the suffering savior and actually got interested in biblical Christianity and then met the Mormons, right? <laughs> <laughs> and at the end of last week, we were talking about his mission. He served a Mormon mission in Russia, and where actually some of his family had been in a work camp in Siberia, I think you said, right? A yes, generation right. ago. Wow, amazing. So tell us what happened after your mission, Daniel. Sure. So I, uh, after my mission, I went uh, to BYU for law school, uh, and I had a really good, great experience there. I loved the law school there. It was good. You know, the faculty there really is dedicated, I think, to you know to, to their beliefs and to serving, and so they they do an amazing job. It's a really wonderful law school. Um, went there for law school. My my wife and I, uh, we we had met uh, before our missions. She served in the Philippines, and we met. Uh, before wow. that, uh, when we were both living in um, Philadelphia, we met on a, in a, a singles temple trip to the DC temple, oh. um, and we stayed we stayed in touch and and uh, started dating after the after both of our missions, and got married uh, after a couple months of dating, uh, and now we have three daughters. You know, uh, we got married in the temple in in Draper in in Utah, uh, and uh, ten years ago or almost ten years ago, and so we've really you know, been blessed in many ways um, to with our family and i'm really grateful for for our all our blessings that, that we have as a family um and you said so, she's generational in the church though yeah that's right yeah her uh one of her our you know her relatives was a body bodyguard of joseph smith and uh one of their relatives is in the the book the work in the glory series uh featured in that book series like mentioned in, in the navu period so they go pretty far back into the church um, now, you know, some are active, some are not active. It's kind of a mixed, a mixed bag, but, you know, really deep pioneer roots. Um, and, you know, for her, I think the, the church of, I, I, growing up was very, uh, performance based, like really like having to have a, a lot of appearance, a, good appearances, you know, nothing kind of not showing flaws or weaknesses and, uh, mm. really acting, acting like everything's all together, even when it wasn't. And, a lot of, I think, pressure. Um, and her, you know, as so I think for her, you know, she served a mission in the Philippines, like I mentioned, and that was a really hard time for her, uh, feeling a lot of pressure, feeling inadequate, feeling a lot of shame from it. And, you know, mm. when I met her, when we, we started dating, I, I saw that. And I, you know, since then, really was really praying for her to, you know, have, feel the love and closeness of God um, that I, I had felt. And I really wanted that for her. And, um, you know, a lot of, a lot of, shame associated with with the church i think for her in any event for years um is that because there were all these numbers she had to meet on her mission and somehow she felt like 
she wasn't pleasing God or he wasn't blessing her or something if she didn't yeah. have enough converts or I think it was just an internal not not external so much it was just an internal feeling of like not living up or not not knowing enough not doing enough and um you know really lacking grace I think in many ways just feeling like she had to live up to to high standards and could never do it um was really hard for her she she'd had um a couple of uh, like a couple of years ago, went through a a, a, faith, a faith crisis where she read the letter to my wife, which is like the like the CS letter, kind of an equivalent um, letter, you know, laying out critiques of the church. Um, mm-hmm. And I had I had before I joined the church had kind of familiarized myself with all all the anti Mormon uh, things I could read, you know, get criticisms against the church. I felt really confident in my beliefs that I was, you know, I, I knew everything about about the church. And and so I kind of helped her at the time um, work through some of her doubts, and she eventually was able to stay in the church uh, during this first wave of a, a faith crisis. Um, a couple of months ago, back, back in October, so you know, several months ago, she why well, we learned that one of our uh, good friends uh, left the church, um, and she left because of what she learned about Joseph Smith's polygamy, um, and especially recently. Yeah, really. It's February now. Yeah, no, yeah. really. Recent. So this has <laughs> yeah. been—it's been a whirlwind the last couple of months for both of us, I think. But yeah, so she began learning about like more specific details about polygamy that you know, I and I was kind of somewhat familiar, but I I hadn't really let them sink into me how problematic they are. Uh, things like letters written to uh, young girls saying to them, uh, you know, "If you marry me, your your family's exaltation will be secured forever. You, you know, mm. they will all have eternal life." if you choose to marry me or telling them about an angel with a sword that came and told him you need to practice polygamy or I'm going to, I'm going to strike you down or, you know, promising them that whatever, whatever he says as the prophet is okay. It is from God, that kind of things that he used were really, really coercive, really inappropriate uh, behavior. Um, And I, you know, my wife began learning about that and kind of her views, her faith deconstructed, you know, her belief in the church really fell apart really quickly. And so she, wanted to uh, remain faithful to God and, and decided to look for a Christian church uh, in our area to, to go to. Um, and so she listened to a lot of sermons from nearby churches. And one of the churches really like felt the spirit really strongly when listening to it. And she was really surprised. She didn't expect to feel the spirit when, you know, another church's uh, uh, material, but she really felt drawn to it. And so she went and um, really was a really transformative from what I, I I saw how it affected her, especially learning about grace, um, learning that you know God, Jesus Christ offers us a gift that we don't have to work for. We don't have to be living up to a standard of worthiness to receive and to be justified before God. That I, I could just see how that transformed her uh, overnight. Really, almost like you know, within a, a short time, like really changed her view her feelings towards God. It, it opened up relationship with God that she never hadn't had before. And it was really beautiful and powerful to watch that. Um, it's, it's really the difference between unconditional love and conditional love, right? Mm-hmm. So what she was feeling before probably from church folk was your, my performance is what brings love, right? Yeah. If I'm performing, then God's love comes to me. Yeah, I mean, for for her, I mean, she grew up. She grew up in the church. She served a mission. She you know served in the church for you know, all. I mean, all, her whole life. Um, 
you know, never, you know, rarely missing a Sunday, serving, you know, every, every way she could. And, and she never felt like she could make it back to God. Like she didn't feel like she'd be in the celestial kingdom. Um, and that was, you know, learning that from her was really striking to me. Um, I always had, as, as far as the LDS church goes, uh, the most pro-grace view that you could have in the church. I mean, I was, Stephen Robinson, uh, his book, Believing Christ, that was kind of my mm-hmm. view of grace. And he, you know, some of the parts of it, he, you know, he sounds like a, like an evangelical Protestant. If you read parts of his book, you know, he talks about justification, um, you know, like really being justified fully through Christ and accepting him, you know, things that you don't hear about in the church at all. Um, and so I, I kind of, you know, I, I'd always been very grace heavy in the way I, I, I believed uh, relative to the church's teachings as far as the church goes. Um, and so I, my, I came into it with my wife having these changes in her life. And I thought, great, you know, this is kind of lower, get rid of some of the barriers to her relationship with God, but then she'll just come back to the church and it'll be great. Um, you know, I try to, I decided I would go and kind of show to her how similar, um, the, the, what she was learning was to what I believe the church taught, but, you know, I, I'd kind of always believed in, in the church about grace. And uh, so I wanted to prove her, uh, show her. Uh, how similar it is and say, you know, look, you can, you can believe the same things in the church ultimately. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, and which, and how, how which, did that work out? So <laughs> when you, yeah, it, I it, mean, it's, so, it's amazing. <laughs> so, you know, what I found was, which really what got me really doubting and questioning was realizing how big of a difference there is between what it was taught in the sixties, the seventies, the eighties on these topics and what's taught, Today, today, I think they have moved in some ways towards a more graceful perspective. They have kind of this idea of an enabling power of the atonement that kind of fills in. You still have to work. You still have to perform ordinances. You know, have covenants in the temple. Live up to those covenants. But there's more of a notion of grace in that process today. But if you go back to the talks in the '60s, the '70s, the '80s, you look at you know Spencer W. Kimball, Harry B. Lee, um, these leaders. Their version is basically Christ offers resurrection and everything else is kind of up to you to, to live up to the standards and you know, to ultimately right. be, be perfect. You know, all you can do, do you have to do? And then grace kicks in at the end uh, you know, to kind of make up the difference. Um, and that, that was really strongly taught back then. Um, you, you, it's, it's very different than I think what the Bible teaches, absolutely. I mean, if you look at Galatians and Romans and Paul's writings, especially, and he's you know really clear, if you add works to grace, it's no longer grace. You can't add ordinances, performances, requirements, uh, ceremonial you know, things to, to grace, or it stops being grace and becomes works again, and, and it, it's you know it, it loses grace. And so, um, I, but the, the way it was taught in the '60s and '70s was you know very lacking in grace, and I. I realize, you know, the whole generation, my, my, my wife's parents, you know, their, their generation, that's what they learned growing up. And that still affected people like my wife to today, you know, that, that belief on grace. And so it's like, if that's what prophets and apostles taught, are they really from God? Can they be from God and get something so fundamental to Christianity, to the, the message of the gospel wrong and still be teaching God, you know, representing God. And I, I began to doubt, doubt that as I you know, studied their teachings on grace and realized how far, how, how much it changed and also how far away from what I saw in the Bible they ultimately were to, uh, in their message. So Mormons do talk about grace a lot today, but the one question I have to them is 
is going to the temple, is gaining a temple recommend and going to the temple, is that optional for you in order to live with father in the next life? No, it's, yeah, it's, not. it's not, right? No, and, and, so, and also living up to, you know, keeping those covenants that you make in the temple, you know, it, I think it's um, required to, to, you know, to, to live up to those covenants. Ultimately, there's, um, you know, warning in the temple from, from Satan in the temple ceremony that if you don't live up to your covenants, you're going to be in his power. Um, that's a scary warning. I used to kind of dismiss that. I thought, you know, Satan doesn't understand Jesus and he's wrong, but that's, you know, taught in the temple to people that, that if we don't live up to our covenants, uh, we're in, in Satan's power, you know, and, that, and none of us can live up to those covenants. It's, you know, I mean, the consecration is one of them where it's you have to give all your time, your talents, your efforts, everything you have to building up the kingdom of God and, and to the church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. No one can do that. Like, you yeah. cannot live up to that. You yeah. cannot live up to those covenants. It's, it's impossible to live up to them fully and perfectly. Yeah. What's so um, interesting, you're, you're talking about the, the what was taught in the 70s and 80s. You know, we joined the LDS Church in 1977. So yeah. we lived through that. You know, Spencer W. Kimball, Kimball was our prophet when we joined the LDS Church. And he wrote this beautiful book called Miracle <laughs> Forgiveness, which depressed more people, <laughs> you know, in the LDS Church because they realized yeah. I, I can't live up to this. And you know, my last calling in the LDS church was I was chairperson of the Redeem the Dead Committee. And I encourage people to get through temple recommends, to go to the temple on a regular basis. And you not believe how many people I spoke with that says, I can't do it. I've, I've given up. I, I'm just going to be happy in one of the lower kingdoms. I yeah. cannot make it in the celestial kingdom. And that That is not the good news of the gospel, you know. Yeah. I'm, you know, it's it states in John, was it John 5, 24, Lynn? You know that one quite well. Um, that, you know, it's once you become a believer and you submit yourself to Jesus, it's a done deal. I mean, you are signed, sealed, and delivered uh, in his grace, you know, in his arms. And you don't, you don't have to work for something. And just the fact that you're going to go to the foot of the cross and negotiate your good works to add on to what Jesus did for you, to me is now an abomination. Yeah, I, I think uh, my favorite chapter of the Bible, um, well, I, I mentioned Isaiah 53, and I think that's always going to be my favorite. But you know, <laughs> other than Isaiah 53 uh, is Romans 8, where Paul talks about um, you know, exactly that. He says, you know, for, uh, all, all, things God, all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that we he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. And then it says, you know, that uh, neither death nor life, nor angels nor demons, nor the present nor the future, nor any powers, nor height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And so it promises, I think, that if we are called of God, we will be justified. We will be glorified you know, that that's glorified that that means you know returning and being with, with god forever right. that that's what right. it means and so there's there's a promise there that i think is really yeah. powerful that i've always loved it's it's about everything he has done for us you know we didn't do it he did it for us we just had to accept his his grace and yeah you no know, not, not live as a sinner we do the best we can but but our works will always fall short you know as right. a you know, I, I love the, the verse, uh, you know, Paul speaks of, you know, for we are created in Christ Jesus to do good works, 
but good works never save us. But we want to because we love the Father because he first loved us. Yeah, I love that. So, so Daniel, were you... You went to church with your wife. Did you take your kids too? Yeah, we, we did. Uh, I, I just, we decided I, I wanted to support her. I, I felt really strongly the need to be supportive and, and be there for her and encourage her. Um, I saw the good it was doing for her. And so I did not want to get in the way of that or discourage that at all. And so we decided to take our kids and they began really liking the Christian church. What I loved about you know comparing the churches, uh, I think were a couple things I really loved. One was... Um, the the focus on the gospel message really just straightforward the message is jesus christ came died for us on the cross and offers us uh, uh you know a forgiveness and atonement and that's the focus of, of all the messages you know I, I think in the lds church you can go a long time without hearing just the simple message of the, the gospel of christ uh, you kind of add all these other things to the gospel the gospel becomes about temples and uh, genealogy and family history and ceilings Home and exaltation and all, all, yeah. But, you know, even, even you know, not, you know, even besides that, like even just about temples and exaltation and covenants and it's all of these things that I think can distract you from the message of Jesus Christ is our savior. And so I, I, I love that. And then the second thing was the, the worship music really spoke to me uh, when mm. we went there, um, the, the kind of contemporary Christian music. No, I'm not. I, I love music, but I'm not. I have no musical talent. Uh, I, I I can play piano a little bit, like uh, hymns made easy, like simplified versions. That's it. Like I I taught myself on my mission actually a little bit of a basic piano, but I I know I, I have no music talent, but I love music. And so the 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 music, like just the the degree of praising and worshiping God, really spoke mm-hmm. to me, and I, I felt like it was feeding a, a need in my soul that I didn't realize was there before I started going with, with my wife to the um, Christian church we go to. And it just spoke to me really deeply. Um, and, uh, you know, that, that was something that I, I came to realize I really craved. My soul yeah. needed to worship my creator. ultimately. Yeah. You know, what's interesting there. is that, uh, you know, with your Jewish background and tying us back to David, and then we read, you know, uh, Psalms that, you know, he, he, worship he danced in the street he loved god you know like no other person and i remember so many times just sitting in a sacrament an lds uh, you know meeting church meeting and it just was kind of sad to to me but to go to a christian you know and worship and really sincerely worship the lord just like david did it just feels great at least for to me i'm 70 years old so uh, but uh, it's it's a wonderful feeling. I can imagine how you felt that could relate to that and your wife especially. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think too, when I was a new believer, I was, I had, I needed a place for all the emotions I was going through, right? And the worship music did that for me. It it brought me to a positive place and this faith in Christ that this is all going to be okay. It's going to go to a good place. It's going to yeah. land all right. This God has got it. In fact, he probably ordained this, figured yeah. it out long ago, and I can do this. And there were times when I'd be worshiping God and realize that tears were just pouring down my face and I didn't even I didn't even realize it, right? I was just yeah. so grateful yeah. 
what was happening. I can so relate to your wife, <laughs> that idea of just being free of this, thinking I had to control everything and look a certain way and be a certain person, right? Mm -hmm. And never struggle with anything or never let anybody know. Yeah. To this authentic, wonderful, loving, you know, arms around you. And worship music is a wonderful part Absolutely. of that catharsis, I think, you know. For me, it was so also Daniel, just realizing. It, sorry. Yeah, go, go ahead. I was, all, all I was going to say was that, you know, being Daniel, being the priesthood holder in your home, you know, uh -huh. you were going to let your wife go into Christianity. And then you would slowly bring her back. But yeah, like you right. were being drawn into Christianity. Yeah. I mean, I had this idea of like kind of hold on to the iron rod with one hand and hold on to her with the other. It was something I, I, <laughs> I, I, I was believing was like this, like, hold on, stay strong to what I believe. And, you know, but stay strong to her, hold on to her as well. And yeah, I found myself drawn more and more to, to worshiping, you know, like the notion, the, the, the I think I, I I then turned to studying the nature of God um, and really looking at at the the way that that's taught in the, the church um, versus the Bible versus Christianity. Um, and I, I looked back at history and I saw how much the view had changed over time in the church. You know, from the Book of Mormon, there's verses that support. They're kind of modalist. They I talk about the, you know, Jesus as the eternal Father, which is not something we would ever say in the church today or or in Christianity, you know, Jesus is not the eternal father. That, that's a title that you would use for God the Father. You wouldn't call him the eternal father, but it was, you know, the, this modalist idea that, you know, that there's one God in different modes. Um, and then Joseph Smith changes those verses over time to go away from that view. Um, and then he teaches um, you know, in the lectures on faith, which was the, the doctrine part of the Doctrine and Covenants, um, teaches a, a kind of a, a binitarian view where there's the father, who doesn't have a physical body of flesh and bone, but is a spirit and Jesus who has a body and the Holy ghost is the, the shared essence between them, the shared mind of the two. So there's only two gods um, and not three. And, and the father doesn't have a physical body. And then, then Jesus, then Joseph Smith says he does have a body. And then later he comes to say, well, no, there, there are many gods. Um, and the, the King Fala discourse, you know, famously says, you know, that you, know, you hear back the curtain, you'll see that God was once, a, was once man. Um, you know, God is a man enthroned in yonder heavens, like that. That idea of God um, being man—it's it, you know—it's it's a dramatic change from anything that Christians or Jews had ever taught about God. They're always, you know, they always, everyone always believed that there's a difference between creator and creation. That we are created beings and can never become our creator. And there's always that gap. And Joseph Smith, you know, said no, that that is gone. And then you have Brigham Young with Adam God teachings, where he says, you know, actually it's Adam was our father and the father of Jesus Christ. Um, and he taught that for 20 plus years and he you know, was over the pulpit and it was part of the temple teachings early on. And now that's one of the, the seven deadly heresies that uh, Bruce R. McConkie identified as, you know, one thing that's you know, damnable heresy. Um, and so, it, you know, you have this, you know, teachings that are taught and then repudiated. Um, and it made me wonder, can you really trust that anything that's taught by these, you know, apostles or prophets are, is really, true doctrine that's never changing um, and really doubt that that was the case. So how yeah. do you see God now? We have just uh, about three or four minutes. How, yeah. how is this God different for you? I, I think, you know, God is the almighty creator of everything. 
Everything is sustained by him, is created by him. My life is in his hands and he controls everything. Um, and I love one of the verses that uh, I really like about that is in uh, about Jesus, about Christ and also the Father, you know, Christ and his role in creation. But it's in Colossians uh, chapter one, where it says, you know, that Christ is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For everything was created by him in heaven and on earth, the visible and the invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He's before all things and by him, all things hold together. Mm. I love that idea that, that, and Christ and, and the, you know, God uh, through Christ and the, the father through the son. And by the, by the way, it means that the spirit created everything um, in the universe and you know, nothing is created without them. They sustain everything. They are, they're in charge of everything and they know everything. And that's really powerful. Um, and it made me worship and have awe for God. Um, that I, I never felt the degree that I feel now, that, that awe, that reverence, that worship, that desire to uh, sing praises to them all day long, to be like the angels in Isaiah where, they, where he's called and they, they're singing, holy, 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 God almighty. Holiness is that amazing attribute of God that I, I didn't understand fully as a Latter-day Saint, how holy and how amazing he is and how much I need a savior because I can never make it back to God without them, without the, their power. It's all them, not me. Um, and I will never be worthy myself. It'll always be the lamb. Worthy is the lamb of God who has slain. Um, the, that That is what I'll always be saying. You know, Even when I stand before God in judgment, that, that's my, what I will be saying is worthy is the lamb, not me. Amen. 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 Oh, and because that lamb came to earth, there's no more need for his sacrifice in the temple. He came to once and for all. uh, Yeah. Once and for all sacrifice, like it says in Hebrews. Yes. Yes. Once and for all. And it's a done deal. Wow. One thing that I've, I've loved is the, the teaching about the Holy ghost in Christianity where as a believer, as someone who's justified, I, I have the Holy Ghost dwelling within me fully. Like, you know, he is inside of me. And in the LDS view, the Holy, even the Holy Ghost, even though he doesn't have a body, can't be inside every person. He is separate from people. He's influencing them, but right. he can't be in us. A wonderful have, teaser yeah. for yeah. the next episode. <laughs> We've yeah. just jumped from Heavenly Father to... It, You know, and you said, holy, 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 and that is our trinity, holy, holy, holy. Grace and peace to you. Thank you, Daniel. Until next time. You as well. May God bless.